the Canadian Military History Podcast. Provided by the Royal Regiment of Canada. Welcome to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. Before I get into my guest tonight, I'd like to talk about some of the messages I've received. The first message is from Bonnie Saunders. Bonnie Saunders is an artisan who creates glass treasures, and that's the name of her website. It's glasstreasures.com. And this is a plate design or some other glassware. And you can get a cap badge or any other insignia embedded onto the plate. And it comes in a nice frame. Bonnie Saunders says, I finally got a bit of time to start listening to your podcast while I'm working on plates. That's what her project is. Sounds great so far. Cheers, Bonnie. When I was corresponding with Bonnie, I also discovered that a gift that was given to me by the junior ranks of the Toronto Scottish Regiment was created by her. So when I left my service as the RSM of the Toronto Scottish, the junior ranks got together and they presented me with one of Bonnie's plates. And I thought that it was a very unique piece. I had never seen anything like it before. And I always treasured that gift from the junior ranks of the Toronto Scottish. It was reflective of my service to the regiment. And the image that was chosen was one of the best representations of the cap badge of the Toronto Scottish. And the way it was presented with the box and the little red background and the plate design, I thought it was a really classy gift. So first of all, thanks to the junior ranks of the Toronto Scottish. I know some of you are listening. And thanks to Bonnie Saunders for the message. You can find Bonnie's products and her whole catalog at glasstreasures.com. My next message is from Michael Bailey from the Superman homepage from Fortress of Baileytude. Michael Bailey responds, glad to be of service. And this is as a result of my posting on Facebook that I added special thanks to the welcome message to the podcast on the website. Speaking about the website, my podcast feed has gone over 5,000 hits. So we're at 5,895 hits so far. So thank you very much for supporting the podcast. Keep coming back for more and more episodes. Rounding off the messages here, I want to talk about the feedback I've received on iTunes. So far, only two people have put out feedback on iTunes. The first one comes from the screen name Royals RSM. This was posted on the 18th of September, 2013. Interestingly enough, Royals RSM is now Toronto Scottish RSM. I know who that is. He said, uh, great podcast, and he gave me four out of five stars. I don't know what I have to do to earn that fifth star out of Royals, I mean, Toronto Scottish RSM. Hopefully, I've earned the fifth star by now. The other iTunes message comes from someone named Shadow Dancer One. Now, Shadow happens to be the name of my dog, so I doubt my dog posted it. There's only one dancer in my family, so I think my wife posted this. This was a five-star review from my wife. It says, as well as preserving their stories, these podcasts will be very valuable to those considering a career in the military. Good work. And I got an exclamation mark at the end of that. So five out of five stars from my very own wife, Gillian. Thank you very much for the iTunes reviews. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, please take a moment to review the podcast and hopefully I've earned your five stars. Now, if there's something about the podcast that I did not earn those five stars from you, 
please take a moment, send me an email at cmhp at gmail.com, and I would be very happy to respond to your concern and earn that fifth star. Getting back into the production of the actual website and the podcast, I hope you can appreciate this type of endeavor does cost me to keep this running and active. This is something I appreciate doing, it's something I enjoy doing, and I don't mind shelling out. However, if you are enjoying the podcast, there's two ways you can help me out. The first way is you can go to my webpage, www.canadianmilitaryhistorypodcast.ca, and on that page you'll see a donate button. That donate button is a PayPal link, goes straight to a PayPal account, and if you choose, you can contribute any amount to support the podcast. And of course, if you provide a message to go along with that donation, I will give you credit for that donation on the show and read out any message you have. Retired Sergeant Major Smith, MWO Smith, from the Toronto Scottish Regiment and formerly from the Royal Newfoundland Regiment, he contributed 20 bucks to the show a couple of weeks back. That was very much appreciated. Now, if PayPal really isn't your thing and you don't feel comfortable just sending money to support the podcast, I completely understand that. But maybe you're planning to do some shopping. Maybe you want to go on Amazon.ca and you'd like to spend a little money and buy something. If you're considering shopping on Amazon, please go to my webpage first, www.CanadianMilitaryHistoryPodcast.ca you can click on the Amazon link. I've also embedded links in the show notes for each show about the Amazon link. So if you just see the word Amazon.ca in the text in the show notes for each episode, you can actually click on that text, that Amazon.ca, and it'll take you straight to Amazon. When you're at Amazon, you buy whatever you like, spend how much money you like, and a small portion of your purchase goes to supporting the show. But your price from Amazon doesn't change. So you get the same price that's on your screen. It's just some of the money that would normally go towards Amazon would come to me to help support the show. So when you're planning to shop on Amazon, please visit my site first. Click on the Amazon link. It takes you straight into the normal Amazon site and shop till you drop. Now on to my guest for this episode. The guest for this episode is very close to me. My guest today is Captain Shannon Terrell of the 25th Field Ambulance in Toronto. I was her recruit basic training instructor back in the summer of 1992. We go into a bit of a detail on that, and we've been lifelong friends ever since. Well, perhaps not during the summer of 92, but definitely after the summer of 92. She was the maid of honor at my wedding. She is my wife's best friend in the whole wide world, and not enough can be said about Captain Shannon Terrell. And Shannon has served in the Canadian Forces Medical Service, and now it's rebadged to the Canadian Forces Health Services. The Canadian Forces Health Services has been branded as a purple trade. So that means if you join the Army and you decide to become a medic, you could be posted to a ship or an air wing or an air base or an Army unit, a field ambulance. It doesn't matter because you're a purple trade. But Shannon joined the Canadian Army. She joined the field ambulance. She actually joined the medical company at the time, 25 Medical Company. Now they've grown to 25 Field Ambulance. And she is a soldier first, a medic second. Shannon has also attained the rank of Warrant Officer, worked her way through the NCO Corps to the rank of Warrant Officer. And in order to continue her career as a nurse in the medical world, she chose to take her commission and continue serving as an officer in the Field Am. Here's my interview with Captain Shannon Terrell. Captain Terrell, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. We met in the summer of 92 when I was your basic training instructor in Blackdown. That was a very memorable summer. It was the summer when every single weekend was nothing but cold rain, and every single day during that summer was either blistering hot or freezing cold. 
Yeah, it was uh, quite the summer, very memorable, first summer in the military. Yeah, I distinctly remember you being my uh, section commander and your, um, your climb to power to Master Corporal. On the podcast, uh, you're my first, um, let's see, you're my first medic, that's for sure, your first medic on the podcast. Yes, and I'm really honored to be the first member of the Canadian Forces Health Services. I hope I do them justice. You're also something else. You're the first. You're the first, uh, let's see, member of the, member not from the combat arms, because we've had artillery and infantry on so far. Try to keep it exciting for you. And you're also the first uh, something else. I don't know what you're referring to there. Yeah, I don't know. There's something else you're the first, but yeah, I don't think it's very important. Let's get on to the podcast and get into the format of the podcast and get into our four questions. Have you had a chance to review the questions? I did, thanks. Excellent. Okay, so let's crack it off with the first question. Why did you join the Canadian Armed Forces? Well, sorry, I don't have a very profound answer for you here. A girlfriend and I, both in our second year of nursing school, had heard that a fellow student nurse at school had joined the Army for the summer, the summer prior to that year. She'd quit since. We thought it sounded like a better-sounding summer job than working in the nursing homes, as most student nurses ended up doing prior to becoming registered nurses. So uh, my friend and I joined. Her name was, uh, you might remember, Private Johnston, (laughs) uh, with the hopes of having some interesting experience as military medics, uh, putting that onto our resumes. We're also hoping to get a little bit physically fit and maybe even meet a few cute soldiers along the way. Um, We always wear suckers for guys in uniform. Right, so Private Johnston, my wife. (laughs) Oh, you recall. Yes. Anything else leading you up to when you decided to sign the paper and raise your right hand? I've had multiple uncles and grandfathers all serve in World War II, but I honestly have to say that never came to the sort of forefront of my consciousness until after I was serving and truly considered what it meant. So what was the world like when you joined? The world, like in the view of the Army, was mainly focusing on peacekeeping missions. It was mainly the Reich Force doing tours in Germany, Cyprus, etc. But at the time, nothing was really readily available to reservists, especially, uh, well, in my view anyway. If a reserve medic was ever lucky enough to go, and it seemed fairly rare uh, in my company at the time, 25 Medical Company, you might get to go over as a driver or working in sort of health records, sort of behind the scenes looking at health records, but never as a medic, like with hands-on patients, despite whatever your civilian uh, profession was in the healthcare field. So it was quite different from where it is today. And I I have to say I was probably as self-absorbed as many 20-year-olds. And so other than that, I don't recall much of what was going on in the world because I was living day-to-day in school and then focusing on which dance clubs I was going to on the weekend. (laughs) That kind of leads us into the next question is what were you like when you joined? I remember there was a motorcycle at some point, but anyhow. (laughs) Oh, that was in high school, Mike. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um. No, no. Um, What was I like? Geez. I I was in transition, I have to say, from I was, I believe, quieter, more reserved, especially outwardly in in high school, unless you're my friends. You didn't, uh, I guess people would have thought I was even shy. I was somewhat nervous joining the military, although I believe I hid that well. I think I personified a certain attitude and edge, you might recall it. But I was really, I don't think, the typical type of person to join the military. 
I'd never been an athlete. I was more into ballet. I'd taken ballet, jazz, arts. I liked poetry and literature. I'd never been part of a team. I'd never even been really camping more than once as a child. And so the Army was definitely not any sort of intuitive or natural progression along a life path for me at that time. So I was in a bit of transition and just coming into my own. And it, I think it's kind of significant and it ended up being a significant role that the military played for me in forming who, who I became because of that. Wow. I would never define you as being shy, especially right from our first encounter during that very first roll call. I would never, never believe, label you. Or as... the fact that I pointed out that your zipper was undone as you were uh, inspecting our drill. Yes. Well, you know, I have editing powers, right? So I can edit anything I don't want to hear, right? So we're good. Okay, I'm aware. <laughs> So what is your most memorable experience in the Canadian Armed Forces? This is a really tough one. I have had so many memorable experiences. They are so varied. And I'd have to say that 9 out of 10 of the most memorable experiences, short of giving birth to my son, are with the military. And, and that's really saying something. I would have to say that going to the Arctic... In, uh, back in 1996, I, I went to the Arctic for about a month. They needed medics to go as uh, medical support for groups of civilian scientists and engineers going to the short-range radar sites dotted all across the Arctic from the times when they're, you know, during the Cold War, doing some environmental cleanup that the uh, military was responsible for. And nobody wanted to go. I was posted to CFB Kingston at the time, and, and nobody uh, that I was working with in, in the Reg Force wanted to go. I guess it was peak vacation time during the summer, and people wanted to be with their families. And I was young and single, and I thought, you know, why are people not wanting to go? This sounds like a, a chance of a lifetime. They did forewarn me about the cold and insane amount of bugs and isolation and, and whatnot, but it sounded like an adventure. And I have to say, I'm so glad I took that opportunity. And um, I, it really, I traveled to Vancouver and I traveled to the other coast prior to this, but I had never really seen all that Canada had to offer. And I have to say that the military has really brought me closer to really appreciating the diversity in Canada and the Arctic especially, with, with how uh, barren and beautiful it was and just the challenges being there, working with the Inuit, being on an uninhabited Arctic island in the Arctic Ocean just south of uh, Tuktoyaktuk. I, I just had the most phenomenal experience there. Anything else? Any major accomplishments or any other memorable experiences you want to bring to light? I'd have to say that uh, teaching on the Air Medevac course, I'd have to say with the Air Force, I don't know that I would join the Air Force because I really, I've got an affinity for the Army now and it's in my blood, but they really had an appreciation and a tolerance for my personality and sense of humor that I don't know that Army's ever been fully able to wrap their arms around. <laughs> so after having taken the Air Medevac course myself um, back in, I think it was 2005, there was a shortage of flight instructors for the AME course. 
And since it's an international course, it was really a big deal for Canada. We didn't want to have to cancel this course. There were students coming from Norway and the Netherlands and the state. We would do an exchange program with the state, so there was an instructor coming from there. I put my name forward. They well, they had remembered me from the prior course, and since I was only two hours from Trenton, we did this whirlwind, something that should have taken a few weeks to get my sort of flight instructor course and all the necessary ticks in the boxes done. We did it in four days. They just sort of fast-tracked me through. It was, it was crazy days. But then I just had the absolute time of my life teaching on this international course. And the, the people there were phenomenal. They were, um, these people really knew their stuff, but they really knew how to have a good time. And there was really something to be said about having to do your strategic uh, flights to Bermuda in order to sign off on the course candidates meeting their competencies. <laughs> that was, that's got to be the, the most fun way to meet, meet your qualification levels. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So who is your greatest influence or who's the most memorable character that you've ever encountered in the Canadian Armed Forces? You know, I can't do this in one person. <laughs> like, there's just no way. Uh, there's been so many memorable characters and they are the most memorable like period in my life, I had to say about who forms who you are, other than your parents, of course. Number one, I think we're starting off sort of historically, Lieutenant Colonel, now retired, Ian Sutherland, was my one of my first commanding officers. And he was a sort of quiet, unassuming man, very classy, patient and supportive, but he, he never seemed to ever be one of those political types never sort of um, posturing for himself or looking at where he could go. He was always looking to, op to offer opportunities for his NCMs and his junior leaders, not just officers. He was interested in each and every soldier. And through some of the choices that he made and the opportunities that he gave me, he instilled uh, confidence in me that you can only get through those types of opportunities or through um, this external sort of validation. Like, your parents have to love you, and so you kind of take it with a grain of salt when they tell you, oh, you're so smart, you're so accomplished, and you, you wonder how much can you really believe them because they kind of have to love you and they have to support you. It's their job, and you wonder how much of it is just to build you up because you're actually not quite, you know, cutting the mustard. <laughs> but um, I hope your son doesn't have to listen to this eventually. <laughs> Anyhow... <laughs> Well, I hope not either. Um, he was so integral. I think it's so important for young leaders to have this kind of support and professional development from their formal leaders, to have your CO to take an interest and invest in you. I remember he sent me off to a Reg Force only course. It was all Reg Force nursing officers. And at the time, although I was a nurse, I was a nurse city side. So I was a master corporal, a medic, and this was a course all in uniform. And I was not an emergency nurse uh, trained at the, at the time. Uh, I've been since, but I was working on a thoracics and respirology unit in Toronto. So it's not like I had this uh, knowledge in the background. I was 25 years old, and the fact that he sent me in the first place, that spoke to me. It was a risk, especially in light of the sometimes uh, tenuous relationship that there could be between the reserves and the right force members back then. Because remember, this is back in the day prior to more recent years where overseas deployments were reservists encompass a much greater percentage of those deployed. But back in the 90s, we were relatively unknown to each other, I think misunderstood to, with each other. And for him to send me there, just with the expectation that I do really well, really spoke to me. And I did 
do well. And I remember, I think the moment that I decided to become an emergency nurse was because of an opportunity that, that he put me in. Uh, with one of those, you know, central area concentration exercises in Petawawa. And uh, I was working in the brigade medical station as sort of like, I think we, well, he called me the BMS queen. I'm, I forget what my official title was. He was the, the doctor there. And I remember a, an ambulance reaching in from off on some artillery range. They'd lost comms, so we didn't even know that this patient was coming in. And it was a bombardier who'd been stung by a bee who was allergic. And the medic in the back of the ambulance with him, she was new. It was her first year in the military. She had just, prior to this exercise, come off her first medic course, prior to Connie Martins. I taught her on that course. Came out of the back of that ambulance, kind of eyes as big as pie tins. <laughs> he was in uh, a state of anaphylaxis. Remember, we all just sort of went to work. He was ordering us around the patient appeared to be seizing and hardly breathing at the time. I remember he gave him a precordial thump, like a thump on the chest. That was the first time I'd seen that. And that seemed to settle things a little bit. He grabbed the arm, told me to get the IV in on the first try, and I followed his order. He was ordering other people to just fill syringes with different steroids and more adrenaline and whatnot, and gave some medications to the bombardier. And then he looked at me and said, uh, we knew we were just staging. We didn't even take the patient out of the back of the ambulance. They were calling ahead to Pembroke to say that we were coming. And I remember he looked at me and he said, who do you want to go in the back of the ambulance with you? So I was the most sort of senior medic on the scene, so it was a given that I was going. But I think in the minds of the crowd of probably 20-some medics and whatnot and support staff standing around, we'd all assumed the doctor's going, right? <laughs> in this kind of like life-threatening situation. But he left that to me and... Um, that just spoke to his humility, and he didn't think that just because he's the doctor or the CO or, or whatnot that he knew everything. And, and I picked Private Martin because, you know what, he was right. I needed who I needed in the back of that ambulance, and a medic knows how to change an oxygen tank, and a medic can do everything I need them to do. He did fill my pockets and with uh, <laughs> medications, and I knew that whatever I needed to use, that he was going to back me up with my choice to use those en route. And that really instilled confidence in me. And after I got back from that exercise, I knew I can never work on a, on a regular unit in, um, in civilian healthcare again because I just had that adrenaline bug now. <laughs> and he instilled the confidence that I could manage and handle myself in those situations. And the bombardier did well. And <laughs> Private Martins, who at the time was uh, an undergrad at U of T, she went on to become a... Um, a kick-ass uh, respiratory therapist uh, working in Toronto. And I, I, I wouldn't want to presume, but I just have to wonder if uh, this situation isn't something that formed her decision to go on to do exactly that and save people from their precarious airways. What an amazing story. Once again, I'm hampered by the upload limits by my server, but nevertheless, I hope you've enjoyed the first part of the episode with Captain Shannon Terrell. Look forward to the second part any second now. So here comes the end tag. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy the podcast, please leave some feedback on iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send me an email at cmhp at gmail.com. Please let me know if you'd like me to read your comments on the air. 
While you're waiting for our next episode, please visit the website at www.canadianmilitaryhistorypodcast.ca or the CMHP Facebook page. If you'd like to support the podcast by making a donation, please click the PayPal link on the webpage. The next time you're considering buying something from Amazon.ca, please visit the Canadian Military History Podcast website and click on my Amazon link. A small portion of your purchase goes directly towards the support and maintenance of the podcast. However, your great price from Amazon doesn't change. All donations will go directly into the production of the podcast. All music is used with the express permission of the commanding officer. End tag music is provided by the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. Views and opinions are those of the guests of the Canadian Military History Podcast and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Mike Lacroix Productions, the Government of Canada, or the Department of National Defence. This is a Mike Lacroix Production.